Hey there, beautiful people, and welcome to Articulating, a bi-weekly podcast that explores equity and inclusion in independent school education. My name is Gina Parker Collins, and I am founder of Resources in Independent School Education, also known as RISE. And I'm Sam Osborne, a RISE advisor and independent school alum. Hey listeners, happy Valentine's Day. This year's Young Men of Color Symposium is happening March 2nd. Founder Dwight Vidal joins us to discuss its origins, as well as the wins and challenges of being a young man of color in independent schools. Dwight Vidal is the Assistant Head of School for Institutional Equity and Belonging for the Collegiate School. Prior to Collegiate, Dwight spent over 10 years at Riverdale Country School, facilitating equity programming and teaching middle and upper school English. In 2010, Dwight developed the Young Men of Color Symposium, and in 2018, Dwight created Beyond Fear LLC, a consulting firm that collaborates with organizations and institutions to shift equity practices and policies. Let's get into it. Follow us on Instagram at Articulating. That's Artic, period, you lading. Thanks for listening. Oh, here's Dwight. Dwight, Dwight. Dwight is here. Brother, congratulations <laughs> on so many fronts. My gosh. Oh, new you. dad of a girl. You're a girl dad now? I'm a girl oh, dad. Officially a girl dad. Six months in. She's amazing. Her name is Summit Paige Vidal. She's amazing. Uh, my oldest son, Carter, is a senior. Uh, That's he got the second congratulations. Uh, yes, a high school senior. Yes. Senior, he's going to Vanderbilt. He's part of the yeah. Posse Foundation. Yeah. Um, uh, so we won that. Amazing. I saw him. I saw him just last week um, in the hallway. You know, it was like, a, hey. It's like, hey. I try not to go, hey. I, I leave that to <laughs> Tiffany. I leave all of that to Tiffany. So, Dwight, last night we uh, were invited to the Schomburg. It was a reception for a new book, a coffee table book called the new brownies book are you familiar with the the brownies book period just the brownies book and it's all about centering centering black children as a matter of consequence and joy this is a love child for dr carita brown and her husband charlie palmer he's an uh, artist and carita is an intellectual and she's a w.e.b du bois um, scholar. And he published the first Brownie book in 1920. And it went through 1920 to 1921, where he asked Black artists and writers to send him the best of what they had so that they can share this book with Black children, right? So that they can see themselves represented in excellence. So this, yes. So this book is incredible. We want to thank Carol Sutton Lewis for inviting us. She has also an amazing podcast called Ground Control Parenting. So that was, that was an awesome event. Awesome event. You know, I think the biggest takeaway from the evening is you have to constantly actively breathe love into this next generation of students of color because we're else right how else and so i'm just so glad we are continuing that today uh my my black king i'm just in that kind of spirit we were at the schomburg day too i mean you're just gonna get a whole bunch of love 
You're going to get a lot of love today, Dwight, because you're oh, doing some you. amazing things. Yes. I just want to get the readers caught up on, you know, Young Men of Color Symposium. It's a leadership conference for young men of color, for young men of color in grades 6 to, through 12 in the U New York City area and beyond. The day features opportunities for participants to explore their multiple identities and learn skills geared towards self-advocacy and community building. The goal of the event is to empower students to affect positive change in their lives and their communities using newly acquired language and knowledge. That's it. How many years now, Dwight? It's been. It's know. over a decade. It's over yeah, a decade. It's it's getting close mm -hmm. to almost fifteen years. I would say yes. right, now, right now. Yes. So how are you feeling? Fifteen, close to fifteen years later. Um, it it has definitely evolved. Um, and I'm so grateful to be in a space where I'm still hungry to do this work. Um, and the reason why I am is because I see our. Black boys, our Latin boys, our Arab boys, Muslim boys, right? Um, who are in these predominantly white spaces who need something. Um, and I believe that sometimes what you need is just to know that you're not the only one. Um, and when you gather in community and can be with each other, um, there's strength in that, there's power in that. Um, and it's changed over time. Uh, when we first started, uh, the concept really focused around um, just pairing boys of color with men of color. Uh, so the first few, um, I guess, iterations of it, we had men who would lead different workshops. But what I realized in doing that was that the boys were walking away with such different experiences. And some people really loved the experience. Some people were like, ah, it was kind of like, okay. Some people really were like, wow, that was the most amazing thing. So we then kind of repositioned it to where everyone does very similar activities in their individual spaces. So that way we can at least kind of like quality control um, for what was happening. This year, what we're going to do is we're going to try to actually do some kind of like mixture of that. So we'll still have the quality control. We'll still have kind of like the curriculum that I set um, that the facilitators so masterfully um, work through with the kids. And we're going to have opportunities for the men um, to actually lead things that are of passion to them, um, which I think just allows for a different kind of connection to be made. Um, and the boys will be able to have a choice um, you know, in, in, in what they want to pursue. How many boys? So last year we had about 120 students show up, um, which is great. At its peak, a few years back, we we hit almost 300 kids, um, and like that was I'm, I'm talking about New York City. We had kids coming from Philadelphia, New Jersey, Connecticut. Um, you know, it was really it really is something special. I do think I do think two things have happened. One, COVID has kind of like changed the way in person stuff operates. And I feel like we definitely lost um, some of the momentum that we had building up. Um, and we're back in the process of trying to regain that. And two, I think that it's really challenging to get boys of color on a Saturday to talk about themselves. Um, that's a really mm. hard for boys to do. Um, we don't often give boys opportunities to really engage in um, emotions and thoughts outside of sports outside of academics and outside of anger, 
right? Like those tend to be kind of like the containers that we give for our young men. So this is an opportunity where we can talk about that. And we're also going to talk about ways in which you're connecting with each other. How are you connecting with um, women or queer folks or people who are not mm -hmm. like you? Um, mm -hmm. You know, what are the what are the stories that, um, for example, this year's title is Learn My Story From Me, right? Um, mm -hmm. There's so many scripts out there for what Black boys, Latin boys, Muslim boys are supposed to be. And it's that's like, right. that's not that's not the full, that's not its mm -hmm. totality, right? Um, yeah. How do we start to kind of like push on some of these stereotypical stories and scripts that are out there for our kids to let them know that however you identify, however you show up in this world is more than enough. You know, there's a great quote um, from, um, I want to say from W.E. Du Bois, um, where he mm -hmm. says something to the effect of it's easier to train up healthy men than to fix broken men, right? Yes. So mm -hmm. it's mm -hmm. like, how do we actually start to give them this language, this knowledge, this um, self-esteem and self-worth now at 12, at 16, so that when they're 32, right, and they're in a relationship with someone, they're not struggling to find those words that are kind of like preventing things from blooming and blossoming, but they actually can Come say, on like, now. I feel That's X, right. Y, and Z. You know what I mean? Like, and that for me is something that, because the way we train young girls and women is that they can speak about emotions from now until the, you know, forever. But boys don't have that same kind of training. And then I always found it interesting that like, as I was getting older, you know, like, let's say you're in your 20s, and you're dating someone, here you are, and I'm and I'm just talking about heterosexual relationships right now. But you know, here you are as a young man in your 20s, you really haven't had any um, exposure or practice in dealing with emotions, talking about emotions. And now you're in a relationship with someone who's been doing that since they were like, five, <laughs> yeah, you know, I, so I appreciate you um, creating a space for young men of color to interrogate those stereotypes, um, interrogate what it means to share your emotions. Dr. Joy DeGruy, I just heard her on a podcast the other night, and she referenced, you know, longevity of life. You know, women tend to live longer because we gather right? We gather together and we talk and men don't traditionally do that. So providing that space for young men to, you know, be that much further ahead than you are at your age, right? Because they've been able to interrogate what it means to be, to be a young man of color. So I'm curious about the partnerships that have been able to help you create this space. Can you talk a little bit about the partnerships? Um, and I know that you have someone on that come from different angles yeah. that all go towards creating this opportunity. Well, first, I want to give a big shout out um, to um, Sensei Mo. Uh, she is a teacher over at Grace Church. Uh, she has been with me since very early in the process um, and really is in many ways like my right hand um, when it comes to help organizing everything. Um, and then we also have a bunch of different facilitators who have worked with me over the years. The partnerships that I've um, created with schools have been fantastic as well. And then the other thing that I would share is just um, really leveraging uh, relationships that I have with different people to be keynote speakers. Um, and really the keynote is the, the thing that really sets the tone for the day. Um, and yeah, you've gotten some big names for, for the symposium. 
So this year, for example, we have Felton Brown, who is a creative designer. Um, he does a lot of really dope things um, and has worked with um, J. Cole and Dreamville and has done a lot of stuff in that range of hip hop and, and what have you. And he's just going to come and share how he's a kid from Brooklyn who didn't even know what creative designing was, but like has now blossomed and bloomed into this space. And for me, when I was growing up, the only thing I knew was Harvard, Cornell, doctor, lawyer, and that was it. There's so much more to the world um, from your college options to what you can do um, as a career. And, you know, just having the boys interact with and, and gain access to um, different things is something that is really um, important uh, to the work yes. that we do. You, um, it's been 15 years. I would imagine um, those initial members are adults. Um, oh my gosh, at, Chaz was one. Chaz was yeah, one. Chaz was one of the first, yep. Amazing. Um, what do you see in these young men um, as a data point for the the impact of efforts like young men of color? I haven't done a good job keeping up with them as they kind of like transition into like college and such. Um, I do get like these random text messages or emails from folks um, who find me later on in life just to say thank you. Um, you know, I got a, um, one of my friends works at the Met Museum and um, she, he was talking about the Young Men of Color Symposium and she's like, oh, I think I know the person who runs that. And he's like, you know, Dwight and was like, like flabbergasted. Um, and we got a chance to talk uh, via my friend. Um, I got an email from um, a student who used to go to Riverdale, my former um, place of uh, work. Um, and he just emailed me and was like, the conversations that I was having at Young Men of Color, like put me in a different place. Um, you know, for him, he was really thinking about race a lot and was really struggling with understanding himself as a black man um, and a black man who wasn't your stereotypical black man. Like he didn't play basketball. His parents weren't from the hood. Right. Like he, he came from money. He came from all these different things and was really struggling with trying to kind of like find his own space within blackness. Um, and it wrote me this beautiful message. And now he's a PhD um, candidate at Michigan, um, doing some really great work around engineering. Um, and it's, it's those kinds of moments that really kind of like stand out to me. Again, I haven't done a good job in terms of like following up with people. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the few that I've heard from have, have all been very positive. So what would you say are some of the challenges that uh, young men, uh, young boys in independent schools are experiencing, and specifically young men of color? Yeah, great question. Um, I think the thing that comes to mind is um, two things. One is agency. Um, a lot of boys, um, boys of color, don't feel like they have agency in their lives. What I mean by that is that they feel like the world around them is just kind of like dictating everything that happens to them. And when you operate out of a place where you don't feel control, you just kind of like let loose, right? And you fall yeah. to the expectations of those around you. And um, I would make the argument that many of our schools do not have high expectations for our boys of color um, because there are certain stereotypes that many teachers, many administrators unconsciously hold 
right? So that when they do encounter kids, they already have these kind of like lowered expectations. And as an educator, I always tell people that kids always rise to the level of expectations. So if you have it low, they'll meet you there. If you have it high, they'll meet you there, right? Um, so how do we get kids to understand that you have power um, and voice and it matters? What are those stereotypes that um, you find young men of color today are riddled with in these independent schools? How much time we got? I mean, yeah. everything from, I mean, everything from like, oh, they're the athlete. Oh, they're the kind of like carrier of um, current events and like social media trends and dances um, to they only date white women to um, they're pro-militant and only hang out with black people, right? Um, you know, they're not good at math. Um, they're not good at science. They're not good academically. They're really there because of numbers. And rarely do people ever give them the benefit of the doubt to say, like, they're here because they're amazing academically. Right. Like our schools privilege academics in a way that many of our boys don't feel like they belong there because they are seen as all these other things. And, and that makes it harder. Right. Like if I'm if I'm focusing 85, 90 percent of my attention on the social realm, like, do I feel safe in this space? Right. Like, think about, you know, I always like to use the example of um, when you're driving your car. Right. Like if I'm driving my car and I'm in a neighborhood that I know my music's all the way up. I got one hand on the wheel. I'm chilling. But if I'm driving in an area that I'm not familiar with, radio shut down. Wait a minute. That, that was every day pulling up on campus. I was like, okay, turn, turn. And the kids were like, why are you turning down? And I'm like, oh gosh, I, I got caught up in that respectability you get, you get, politics exactly, too. What are yeah. people going to think about me? Yeah. And you know, as a mom, I remember that transition, particularly if you have um, a son that comes in in the lower grades and he's mm -hmm. really cute and he's adorable. And then there's this transition that happens that, oh, now he's looked at as a threat. You know, he's he's threatening. Um, and that transition yeah. happens. I mean, it's a slippery, slippery slope. Uh, it's, yeah. it's around. I would say it, it, it really starts to become noticeable around third, fourth grade. And really mm, is like, that young. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Really well, no, you're right. And is really in full bloom by fifth, sixth grade. Like, like nine-year-old boys are seen as threats, right? Um, and that's really hard for boys to make sense of, right? Because think about where you are as a nine-year-old. You're trying to make sense of the world, right? Like mm -hmm. you have your, your home, you have the rules of the school, you're learning the rules of society around you. And now I would say it's so hard to raise kids because they're also getting now another source of that social media stuff. Right. Which is pulling from all aspects of the world around them. And they're they're really just like, I don't know who to trust, who to believe. How do I act? What do I do? You know, so um, it can be really. Wow. Hard. Can I tell you uh, before you joined, Dwight, I was telling Gina about um, I I'm an indie school alum. Um, I wanted to do this affinity group with black women alumni and um, the the school came back to me and said, how about black men, black women? How about BIPOC people? And there was a little part of me that was like, black women, black men, not the same thing. We're, and I do think there was a little element of resentment that we mm -hmm. had for black men in our school that was kind of playing out in that meeting when I was, you know, giving pushback to that idea. 
I'd still like to move forward with the um, Black Women Affinity Group, but this does make me think, you know, there's a lot of outside tensions, frictions with, uh, you know, white, with other races, but also within our community, they're probably, they probably have both hands on the wheel for yeah. that too. And and, yeah. and I will say to that really quickly that um, the relationship between Black boys and Black girls gets strained because Black boys oftentimes become held up as like the pedestal of cool, whether that's because they're athletes, whether because they're just simply black. I remember when I was a student, kids would look at me and be like, oh, your fashion is so cool. Like, and I'm like, I literally just put on pants and a shirt. Yeah. And then, and then the thing with the girls is that the girls are oftentimes doing really well academically, but then the social component isn't noticed as Invisible. much. Yes. Exactly. Invisible. Yeah. And then and Invisible. then because so so you have so you have this pretty interesting dichotomy where you have boys who are doing well socially which if you're if you if we're being honest like as a kid like that's what you care more about at that age right is like the social component right so like boys are doing well socially not as well academically girls are the flip of that they're doing well academically not so well socially well yeah help us grapple around that because i heard from an administrator at another independent school who wanted to bring the black students together both genders right and um there was this question that was passed around like this icebreaker uh it went something like um i don't know what what are you most thankful for because it was around the holiday season you know and by the time it got around to one particular black boy he said he's thankful for white women white girls in front of his black girl peers. It took the administrator, like, I mean, like took her breath away and said, we, we have to unpackage this. Has that conversation been one of the, you know, breakout sessions around relationships within, you know, your race or ethnicity? Yeah, that I mean, first of all, I'm 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 flabbergasted that he said that in a public setting like that. That was followed up with I'm just joking, but you know, it was true. But, but, but again, I think it plays into to, to to certain stereotypes. One of the things that we do at the Young Men of Color Symposium is we do talk about our relationships um, with women of color, right? And how do we show up or how don't we show up? Um, how do we recognize and how don't we recognize, right? Um, and again, I think it's it's challenging for the boys to take accountability of their actions, right? To own their actions and moments to say like, yeah, I did say that comment and it had a negative impact on the women around me, right? Like, and some, some guys do get to that in our day long and some guys get to that later on. Um, but it's one of those conversations um, that I wanna make sure is present. And they have to understand that, just because somebody has a different story doesn't invalidate or mean that my story is not true and vice mm -hmm. versa. I would imagine you've run into a number of critics um, over the last 15 years, just as far as how you define color, how you define men, um, the exclusion mm -hmm. of uh, women if I'm understanding um, the gender parity conversation, all of those things, um, yeah. what is it that, as far as protecting what you've built, what is it that you'd like those critics to know and understand and uh, 
know and understand about how you have defined and crafted this effort? Um, I'll answer it in two ways. One is um, when I was a student um, at an independent school, I learned about symposiums, um, Greek symposiums, which were all men. And it was a time where they actually spoke to each other and like were able to kind of like get into very real conversations with each other. Gather. So that's why gather. I, it's to <laughs> gather. And that's why, that's why I call it a symposium and not a conference, right? Because this is really a gathering space. So that's kind of like part of it. The second way um, I would answer that is that I allow people to self-identify. Um, so I, I never question whoever shows up in my doorway um, on the day of the, of the symposium, because if you're here, that meant that the messaging spoke to you. Um, so we've had um, trans-identified folks show up. Um, we've had queer people identify um, and show up. We've had, um, you know, people show up. However, however young men of color speaks to you, then you show up. Um, and I never question anybody's presence. Um, the other thing that I will say in terms of um, women, I do think it's important for the boys to see themselves reflected in future selves. So that's why I make sure that all of the facilitators are also men of color, um, because I do think that it's important. Like, I know that when I was a student there, I had one male teacher, two male teachers, black teachers, who I absolutely loved. Um, and all the other black men I saw were on facilities or in the kitchen, right? Um, so this is an opportunity for them to see these people doing amazing things with their lives and showing up in all these ways, which I think just gives them, again, that access and exposure to say, I can be more than fill in, you know, whatever the stereotype um, trait is. When it comes to- And it's to, a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful really thing is. to see, Sam. It's, it really it's incredible. Is. And, and 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 I would invite you. I mean, if you're free, March second, come through. Um, the reason why I say that is because we also run an adult track as well, um, so that there's a learner track that's available. Um, and what we do is we really try to create a community where folks can um, come together to support boys of color in that way. Um, and I think that that's important. And then even within the adult track, we oftentimes split gender-wise. Um, to have conversations. Because again, I think the men mm. have to get together and have certain conversations and the women can get together because the way that a woman supports young boys is going to be different than the way men support young boys. So let's talk a little bit more about not just moms, but dads too. How do parents support? What do you suggest parents do to support young men of color who are in predominantly white spaces K through 12? The biggest thing that I will say for parents, moms and dads alike, is to listen to your kids and, 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 and hear them. Um, listen not to fix, but listen to like really understand and to under, like to really get at what that kid is talking about. Um, I know that as a dad, when my son shares something with me, I'm like, okay, how can I fix it? Who can I get in contact with? Da, 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 da. Or we and get very I, emotional about it too, right? Or I get, you know, and, all in our and feelings. I learn, and I have to learn how to slow down, hear what he's saying. I think boys of color, and I would make the argument that men of color aren't heard um, when they say certain things. You know, um, I'm trying to think of like a, a quick example. Like if a kid is saying like, you know, I really don't like meatloaf 
don't keep cooking meatloaf, <laughs> right? Like <laughs> this is a way, this is a way in which they're trying oh, to- No, this is what you're gonna eat. This is what I cook tonight. This is what you're gonna eat. <laughs> <laughs> right, but like, but that's how, but that's how, but that's how you start to learn whether your voice matters, right? And it oh, often yes. starts home. From here, I'd love to know where you'd like this to go, um, how you're thinking about scaling things up. What's been on your mind as far as what you want to accomplish in the future? You know, I, I, this question of scale is one that is always of interest to me um, because I do feel like there is a market, if you will, for these conversations in other places. Um, and I also feel like there's ways in which Dwight Vidal doesn't necessarily need to be the person to lead those conversations, right? Um, as long as the conversation is being had and boys are able to share and be heard, I think that like that's ultimately what I want. Um, so I will say that I do this symposium in Chicago. Um, and the way that came about is um, there was a school, some school officials from a school in Chicago came out to see the symposium and loved it. And they were like, oh, we're gonna bring our boys next year. And I was like, well, that's kind of expensive to bring kids from Chicago for one day. Do you think that we can just do it in Chicago? Um, so we've been doing it in Chicago now for six or seven years. Um, so like that has shown me that there are other communities that I can kind of like plant myself in and like make it happen. So there's ways in which I can scale it up to your point. Um, but I also want the integrity to be there. I want there to be that um, that love and that care, that um, commitment um, to it. Because I also know that sometimes when things get outside of the hands of those who really care, it can become all kinds of different things. Our boys deserve to be held in a certain kind of way. And I want to make sure that um, we can do that in a way that feels, feels good to them. Um, because they deserve it. Yeah. Okay, so the symposium is March 2nd. Yeah, March 2nd, uh, we're doing the Young Men of Color Symposium. I will also add, there are three conferences happening at the same time. So we have the Young Men of Color Symposium. We have Redefining Power Conference, which is a space for white boys who are thinking about their space and their role in race and community relations. And then we also have an adult learner track. Um, and all three are happening simultaneously. All three will be kind of like self-contained um, outside of maybe meals, um, but it's really an opportunity for folks to come, uh, particularly for boys of color to see other boys. Um, um, if you think that your boy needs um, some support, um, this is a day long thing. And, and I want to say thank you all so much for the opportunity to just share a little bit more about my passion, um, share a little bit more about what I'm doing. Um, this is something that I hold deep to my heart. So not only do I do <clears throat> a lot of work with young men of color, but I also do a lot of work with adult men as well, too. Um, so I also lead a, um, a men's retreat um, with the Glasgow Consulting Group. Uh, in April called My Brother's Keepers. Um, mm. And for that, um, and again, really just thinking about how can we create more spaces for boys and men of color uh, to step into themselves in ways that 
society doesn't always allow them uh, the freedom and the agency to do that. So, so we're trying to actively push in a different way um, and, and expand boundaries in a different kind of way, um, because ultimately it's about healing our community and healing our individuals. And I really do believe that this work is a step in that direction. Wonderful, wonderful. Thank you, Dwight. The Young Men of Color Symposium and the Redefining Power Conference will take place March 2nd, 8 a.m. to 3 p.m. in New York City. Friends, there's still individual tickets and group rate tickets available, so cop those if you haven't already. Registration will close Thursday, February 29th. For more information or to register, please visit the link in the episode description. If you enjoyed listening to this discussion, please pass it on to a friend. And don't forget to hit subscribe and follow us on Instagram at Articulating. That's Artic, period, you lady. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you in two weeks.